0: And welcome back to another edition of ESPN's Formula One podcast. I'm Alexis Una still here with my usual gurus, Nate Saunders and Lawrence Edmondson, because I'm a faithful woman. This week, it's all about the Portuguese Grand Prix, so we'll be looking ahead to that. We'll also be taking some of your wild predictions again in Pit Stop, and we'll see just how those wild predictions can inspire Nate to give us some bold predictions in Nate's bald predictions. And Lawrence always likes to get wild there pretty much because his name isn't attached to it. So his credibility remains intact somewhat. So we've had yet another mini break, guys. Um, we hope you still tuned into our podcast because even though it was a break, we were still churning out some content for you. Had a great chat with Nicholas Hamilton about you know his whole... I suppose career in motorsport and of course what it's like watching big brother lewis hamilton smash some records like there's no tomorrow if you haven't listened to it make sure you listen to it or i will find you but um guys how have you been in this like i said mini break i know i say mini break but we still do keep working don't we
1: yeah we certainly do um plenty going on in formula one still and We've still got six races left, which is still a fair proportion of the season. I know we kind of look at it and we see Lewis Hamilton running away with the championship and we think it's all over. But perhaps, um, yeah, we might still have a few little turns turns in the tail, probably further down the order than at the top. But um, yeah, we, we keep going and got two races coming up, two which we're going to be very excited about in Portugal and then the weekend after Imola, uh, because they're two tracks that F1 doesn't usually race at. So Imola last time was 2006. Portimao F1's never been to so yeah it's, um, it's about to kick off again.
0: Venture into the unknown. I love some of those don't you Nate? You're hoping for some more Monza type fireworks though.
2: Yeah absolutely I think every time we go to a new circuit there's a bit of an unknown there so I'm actually at Portimao I was watching some onboard stuff and again a bit like Mugello it's kind of hard to imagine F1 cars being there so I'm really excited to see what that circuit's like very different to what we've been used to recently so um and just a shout out to you Alexis for the Nicholas Hamilton interview because uh listen back to that it was great and um what what, what a fascinating family the Hamiltons are like, what a fascinating
0: you know, family indeed
2: they're, I would love to be a fly on the wall on their Christmas dinners like just to listen you've got Lewis there but you've got Nicholas you know Anthony Hamilton's also very interesting so yeah fascinating to hear to hear him talk and talk pretty openly as well so I thought it was great Good job.
0: It was it was very touching. My brothers listened to it, and then they came back and told me that they're proud of me as well. And I was like, oh, made me cry, guys. You guys are like the Nicholases to my Lewis. But uh, it was really cool. It was nice to hear him, you know, talk about Lewis as not Lewis Hamilton, but just his big brother, and said, you know, listen, I've. Everyone piped down because I've been his number one fan since day one, literally. So um, really, really good chat. I mean, he was super easy to talk to. So again, we're plugging our own content on our own content. But if you haven't listened to it, then definitely take a listen to it because it was a really brilliant chat. And hopefully he comes back on. He said he was um, happy to come back on as a post, like a post-race analyst, so to speak. He's been doing some of that as well. So maybe we'll try bring him on when Lewis eventually wrap things up. Not much long now, but (laughs) it'd be good again to see how he talks about him. So as usual, before we look ahead to the Portuguese Grand Prix and get some of the expectations from the guys as to what they're expecting, even though, as we said, it is kind of unknown territory, but we do like to pay off some of the news stories and there have been quite a few that have, you know, raised certain eyebrows and um, just to continue from one of the talking points after Germany, which was the whole fact that Lance Stroll was unable to race that weekend it brought back nico hulkenberg literally he did not have a chance to catch a breath but still a pretty good finish for him given all the circumstances. But now Lance Stroll has officially confirmed that he did test positive for coronavirus after the Eiffel Grand Prix. He had another test, I believe, this week, he said, and returned a negative result. Um, And he says, quote, I feel in great shape and I can't wait to be back with the team to race in Portugal. Gents, what are your thoughts on this? Because I know when we were speaking about um, Lance's, I suppose, absence in Germany, it kind of made you scratch your head a bit with the way in which it was dealt or how racing point dealt with everything um so now that it's all come to the surface which you were expecting it to, what are your thoughts
1: Well, first of all, it's good to hear that Lance apparently made a recovery and uh is doing fine and should race this weekend, so we'll see that's the important bit, but it does raise some quite serious questions about the way uh Formula One is dealing with covid how it's uh testing for cases and whether it should be doing more. And so we have the situation where Lance Stroll felt unwell, uh, according to the team, he felt unwell from the Russian Grand Prix all the way pretty much through to the German Grand Prix. And he tested negative. Everyone has to do a test before they travel to a race. And he tested negative before he traveled. And that was on the Tuesday before the Eiffel Grand Prix, but he didn't get tested again. And then he felt so unwell that he couldn't race on Saturday. And then he left the F1 paddock, well, he never turned up to the F1 paddock on Saturday and then uh, he travelled home and then he was tested again privately, so away from the whole F1 kind of testing procedure and that's when he tested positive and he got his result back on Monday. Now, um, you could say, well, that's all well and good. Obviously, you know, good to know that he tested in the end and was able to isolate after that. The problem being is that by the sounds of it, when he was not well enough to race on uh, or to qualify on Saturday, um, he probably had COVID then. We don't know for certain because he wasn't tested, but that seems very, very likely. So prior to that, on the Thursday, he was there for the media day. On the Friday, no action happened because it was rained off. Um But he was in the paddock. He was talking to people. He was with people. So, how much isolation was going on there? How many many precautions were taken? And then, why, when he had the symptoms—or some symptoms, okay, maybe not regular symptoms of COVID—but he had symptoms, was he not tested again on the Saturday to make sure everyone in the team could also be isolated, protected as they needed to be? And he wasn't. So, that's where we don't really have an answer of, of why that didn't happen. And I i'm hoping that racing point will have very simple explanation and so on uh when i was talking to their media officer at the time they said well they've sought medical advice and they didn't feel it was necessary and so on but obviously now it's turned out to be the case that he probably did have covid so um yeah the fia uh obviously is monitoring the whole situation of how people test for covid and that, that race weekend all you had to do was test before you went there and then uh, within five days of that test be tested again. So if you got tested on Tuesday, you'll be tested again on the Sunday, and then uh, you'll be off now. They're gonna change that slightly this weekend, whereby you have to be tested within 24 hours of arriving at the circuit. So assuming you arrive on the Thursday, if you're a driver, within 24 hours, you have to be tested again to make sure you're still negative. So if you picked it up on the way or whatever, or the first test and you didn't pick it up, you've, there's a chance it gets picked up again. Now the FIA say that isn't directly related to the Stroll situation, but it has come in afterwards. Um, And so, you know, hopefully that will pick up and kind of get rid of some of these slightly awkward questions we have around the Stroll situation. But um, as I said, the team haven't really come out beyond this short statement on social media by Lance Stroll saying what happened when he was tested, that he had it, and that he's feeling fine for Portugal. But there are a few questions just still hanging there about how it was all dealt with, Did the team try and not have him tested because it meant that a number of their team members may have had to isolate? You know, none of that is answered. We don't really know the answer to that, but it doesn't look great from the outside. So that's the situation we're in. And yeah, hopefully we'll get a few of those answers over the weekend. And hopefully this new measure of testing people 24 hours after they arrive in the paddock uh, helps kind of rule out any possibility of, of something similar again.
0: Yeah, because I suppose reading it, I mean, thankfully, as we said, that he did finally return a negative test and everything should be okay now and he should be good to go again this weekend. But just all of that and the fact that it's coming out a a week later, it makes you feel a bit uncomfortable, especially and starting to kind of give glances to those that were involved or came into contact him with him or a bit closer to him, doesn't it, Nate? It just, it just, I don't know, it didn't really sit too well for me. As Lawrence was saying, it just kind of throws up a lot more questions than we even had before.
2: Yeah, it doesn't sit well with a lot of people. I think the reaction to to it, if you'd seen it on social media, said the same thing. I'm really curious as to, and Lawrence, Lawrence gave a great summary of the whole thing, but the, the medical advice that they said they sought I'm really fascinated about because I don't know what kind of medical advice would, would be like, okay, you've got the symptoms of COVID. You don't need to check it because it's probably not that. Like, I don't think anyone who's a medical professional would ever do that. You'd always say, okay, you to have To be
1: fair to them, I think the idea was that the symptoms weren't regular symptoms of COVID. So it wasn't your normal was symptoms. Funny. Therefore, you don't... I mean, we, we, it's really hard to tell. And the problem with this is that this is a medical issue. So mm. doctor-patient confidentiality still exists. And you can't work around that, and legally, you know, that's there. So there are a number of issues here where we can perhaps give them the benefit of the doubt, but we kind of need some a better explanation of how it all played out.
0: Because I feel like I remember, at least in the broadcast of it, so there were hints being dropped to say that he, um, as terrible as this sounds, but had to stay near a toilet, <laughs> you know, and immediately then I said, oh, okay, well, fair play to that you know you're constantly traveling maybe he caught a little stomach bug somewhere you never know what you have to eat or service station food we've all been there but honestly at least i thought that that deflected um from the whole covid drama going on so now to kind of hear that that is indeed probably what it really was it just kind of it really makes you go huh okay then
1: i think the other thing is there's so many unknowns uh about Covid anyway I mean you know if you read the news we're still learning stuff about it every day and symptoms and what it means and uh, you know different ways of testing and the reliability of testing so you've got all of those problems to contend with as well and at a time in Europe where we're seeing you know throughout Europe cases rise and uh, you know F1 is still still going so if you look at the upcoming races uh, we've got one in Portugal one in Imola one in Turkey, and then two in Bahrain and one in Abu Dhabi. All of those countries that F1 is going to at the moment uh, have quarantines in place if you're returning to the UK. Now, I know not everyone in F1 works in the UK, but a large proportion does. So it shows you how serious uh, governments are taking it. And the UK has many of its own problems with COVID right now as well. But it shows you how serious the situation is. And of course, F1 is still trying to operate within that. And it's doing that all within, you know, what it can do. It's got exemptions in place and so on. But it does show you how serious the wider situation is. And perhaps this shows us to some extent how little understood it is that he had symptoms that were not regular symptoms, yet he still had COVID. But it's it's so difficult to say because of when he was tested, he wasn't tested immediately. So, you know, it's it, it's really hard to know exactly what happened. And we are speculating a bit, but... If we're not getting the answers back then it opens up this realm of speculation and you know we have to we want this season to go ahead and we want all the races to happen safely but you're so dependent on the people within it doing the right thing doing the sensible thing using a bit of common sense testing you know even just for the sake of it just to be tested just to make sure that people are okay i mean if you look at the mercedes example when they had someone test positive isolated a bunch of people had them tested again some of which uh tested negative but they still weren't allowed to return to work because they've been in close contact with the proven positive new people came in so yeah it's um it relies on people to be to apply some common sense and kind of do the right thing and there's some questions as to whether that common sense was correctly applied uh in the racing point example but again let's hope we get some answers as to why it was
0: Let's hope we get some answers indeed soon. And like we said, at least the good part is that we know that he seems to be on the path for recovery and ready to race again this weekend. But let's not talk about this weekend quickly just yet. Let's look ahead to next year, as many people are doing, because 2020 has been trying enough, and we know that the... Um, there's a lot of exciting stuff to come next year in terms of driver movements, as well as whether the calendar is going to, um, be the same or different, given the fact that as Lawrence just highlighted, we still don't know where we're going to be in terms of this pandemic. There's still a lot of unknown with how coronavirus just continues to, to spread or mutate. But looking at the bright side, one good thing that we did get a little taste of was we finally saw Fernando Alonso back in a formula one car. As always, we have a little meeting and try to talk about the new stories that we want to tackle for this podcast. And Nate Saunders was like, oh, we have to talk about Fernando Alonso back in an F1 car. Were your heartstrings just being tugged on, Nate, when you saw him testing for Renault in Barcelona?
2: Uh I'm not sure about the heartstrings, but you know, I've, never <laughs> been, I've never been that attached to Renault. But I think it, for, from a Formula One point of view, yeah. you know, it's, it's a great story. Uh, it's not quite the same as Mick Schumacher in, you know, no. coming back at the Nürburgring or when we were talking about that potentially happening um but it's I mean it's 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 a super cool story you know I think when Lawrence and I were both there in Abu Dhabi when they made this massive deal in 2018 about his departure he did donuts in the middle of the track you know with Lewis and Vettel and everyone there was kind of like well we feel like he's going to come back at some point so this has kind of been you know it's been there for a while but the fact he's coming back with Renault their project is obviously getting better and better I think it's quite exciting I loved the quote from Cyril Beatball. he described Fernando Alonso as a big I think it was something like a big hungry shark. I might be paraphrasing it a bit, but that's what he, what he called him. And he said, that's who they're getting back in the car. So um, what was interesting was Fernando kind of coming back and saying he was surprised by the car and how competitive it was, um, which is an interesting <coughs> quote. But Then, you know, Lawrence and I often joke about some of the stuff that Fernando will say. There's a very set, group of things that he will say you know to to kind of get hype around himself you know he'll often you know big up the potential that he's coming in the situation he's coming into so you never know quite how happy he is because a lot (laughs) of what he says to the media i always feel is like him trying to yeah he's trying to like cultivate the story that he wants us to write and often we don't write that story you know we, we we kind of write what we see in front of us but um it's going to be great to have him back on the grid and um yeah i think that team will basically be his i think ocon ocon's already being outperformed by ricardo so i can't i can't see him really doing much better against Alonso Um, and it's super exciting for them because you'd imagine one more year where they're kind of maybe the best team in the midfield and then if they can get things right in 2022 then you know Fernando Alonso we could finally be talking about him having a shot to win that third title which I think a lot of us gave up on a long time ago but um, yeah super super cool to see him back in the car Um, yeah I I thought it was
1: great.
0: Lawrence, did that get you excited as well?
1: Yeah the whole Renault Project at the moment is quite exciting because um, they, it seems like they've finally turned a corner. Mm-hmm. We talked about this before. Like they seem like a team that have the ingredients there to be competitive. Obviously, they have got their own power unit. Uh, they've invested a lot in Enstone where they build the chassis. And uh, with Ricardo, they had they've had a great driver for the last two years. They lost him to McLaren. That looked like a real hit. And then what do they do? Well, they bring in arguably, you know. Uh, an even better driver certainly a driver on the same level in Fernando Alonso to replace him so that's um, yeah it's quite an exciting storyline going into next year and no matter what I think it's it's going to be good you know even if things don't work out Alonso's always box office there's always excitement around him so uh, I think that'd be good but even better if it does work out and we have Alonso in a competitive car how good would that be in Formula 1 because for so much of his career he didn't have that. And we always feel like we missed out on maybe the best of Alonso. We saw him win those two titles so long ago now, 2005, 2006. And then a series of moves kind of dropped him in cars or teams where it didn't quite click. And he came so close on a number of occasions. Could easily be a five-time world champion if he'd won in uh, 2007 and then 2010 with Ferrari and 2012 with Ferrari. But he's not. And so, um, yeah, it'd be great to see him uh, fighting for a title again because we need some competition against Mercedes. So hopefully uh, he and Renault can be it. Whether I really think that's going to happen, well, probably have to wait until at least 2022 uh, to get a better view of that. And even then I'm sceptical, but I'd love to see it if it can happen.
2: And I think the dream is, isn't it, is Lewis v. Fernando for one championship at least. I think <laughs> everyone knows the story about two thousand seven, but then their careers kind of it's it's interesting when you look back on the two of them because you know, when Lewis was having kind of the struggles in his career, Fernando came close in 2010, 2012. Lewis was in both of those championship fights until, you know, issues kind of towards the end of the season. And then when Lewis got his domination as as Lawrence said, that's kinda of when Fernando kind of dropped out of contention. So we never really as much as everyone talks about their rivalry together you've never actually really seen them both competing for a championship at the same time um, so I would really love to see that um, I'm still quite sceptical but I think if Renault can get a car even close to Mercedes it's a bit like Verstappen with Red Bull you'd back Alonso to at least make a half decent fight of it even if he's not quite able to take the fight fully you know he's the guy you want there to kind of capitalise on that situation so yes yeah, it's, it's positive especially as we're hoping 2022 kind of ends this run of kind of very similar results out in front <laughs>
0: Oh, and they just want some exciting headlines again.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I do. Yeah, we're running out of ways to write them at the moment.
0: I know, I know. It's uh, in a very unpredictable year. Certain things still remain the same, surprisingly. But um, well, one of the things that we're expecting to go back to normal next year is that Australia will be the season opener. Um, They definitely announced that they've yet to F one has yet to confirm the schedule, Lawrence. I believe it is, but we do expect. Australia, and probably some of the more familiar destinations to be back on the schedule next year, given that we hope that this pandemic does, I suppose, get under control somewhat. Or at least that's the idea, right?
1: Yeah, all, all yet to be confirmed. So uh, we don't really know exactly how it's going to pan out, obviously, but um, we don't know exactly what F1's plans are yet. But the rumours are that they're hoping to do a very short amount of pre-season testing in Bahrain. Uh, and that led to some speculation that the first race could also be held in Bahrain. And I suspect that will still be a contingency plan, considering it's one of the places we're actually going racing before the end of this year. But it looks like the plan is to essentially have your normal 2022 calendar and then <coughs> change things as they go if they need to be. Uh, I'm sure F1 has plenty of contingency plans in place. Because right now, the idea of everyone travelling to Australia again in the current situation, I think Australia, Melbourne especially, is just starting to come out of a very lengthy lockdown. Uh, I might be wrong on that, but I think that's what's happening over there. So the idea of F1 going there right now seems very hard to picture, but that's the nature of it. You've got to plan in advance. And, you know, let's say we have a world where there's a vaccine in place uh, by the start of next year then everything could look quite different. And Australia could be a, a real possibility to, um, to kick the season off. But we'll see how it goes. Um, F1 has to be optimistic. It has shareholders. It has uh, investors to keep happy. And the best way to do that is to say, look, we have this plan. We're going to be making this amount of money through all our race fees. Let's get on with it. Uh, but of course, if COVID gets in the way, F1 will have to adapt that plan
0: one of the other destinations that we're hearing um, being floated around to Saudi Arabia, what's the likelihood of that one, um, at least planning to have that one added back to the calendar?
2: Yeah, this one looks really likely to go ahead. And it's kind of been, it's it's been there for a while, you know, even way before COVID hit this year, we've been talking about a Saudi race. And it's kind of, it's quite a contentious one. I think Lawrence and I have pretty strong views on this race. So the race is backed by Aramco who have already become a partner of Formula One. They, the title sponsor of a few races already. and yeah aramco kind of is a weird company to, for f1 to be aligning with given the pledges it's made towards sustainability so aramco's um history i think they're one of the worst polluters in the world if not the worst polluter in the world stretching back to the 60s um i just i just had a bunch of stats up here which i'm going to try and try and find so for example they've had an output of 59 billion tons of carbon dioxide since 19 uh 1965 you know so f1 when this race goes on are going to have questions about sustainability yep. saudi obviously also has a very questionable uh, human rights record it wouldn't be the first race f1's gone to which has a questionable human rights record so it's, it would be wrong to to kind of single it out as as such but it's still weird when uh any championship goes there i mean so i'm a i'm a wrestling fan and the world wrestling entertainment company has started going back to saudi arabia to do events there and they're they're controversial for the same reason um You know, you take a lot of money and you go to a place and you kind of turn a blind eye to it I don't think it's a great look in the modern day to do that and you know F1 does race in some other places with mentioned Bahrain that's had political issues at previous races So again, it's not like this is the first time this is happening So you can't always take a take the high moral ground on this because F1 has done this before But when you're taking money from new regimes like that, uh, sorry, or regimes like that for new events um you open yourself up to a lot of criticism so i think that one will go ahead and i think rightly there'll be a lot of questions both on the human rights side and the environmental side of that because you know f1 you can't you can't be hypocritical and say one mm-hmm. thing and then do another thing with the deals you're pursuing so you know whether it'll be a good racetrack or not is kind of moot to me i don't i can't really get excited about a race there i think there's better places you could go racing places with better history places that just probably deserve a sporting event more but that is, you know, that's modern sport. I mean, this week in football, all the big teams are trying to, you know, trying to protect themselves and make as much money as they can for themselves. So it seems to be what sport is doing, you know, across the world, even even as we come out of a pandemic. So not the best look for Formula One. And you can tell I'm, no. I'm, not, I'm not that excited about it. But, you know, to use a, an old cliche, it is what it is. That's going to, you know, it'll probably be on the calendar next year.
0: It is what it is indeed. Oh, it's just... <laughs> trying to gut the soul out of sports our beloved sports all these greed and money but whatever i suppose tomorrow we'll worry about tomorrow we'll definitely don't have to kick off too much about that until uh next year and then we're definitely gonna get nate to kick off even more about that love this this saudi might be right under sochi for you right now nate just might we need to get juan manuel back and see how he feels
2: (laughs) Uh, i would i'd go to sochi any day over Over Saudi Saudi. but then again see but that's what I mean like you know that's still racing in Russia and it's still you know there's there's human rights questions you can raise about Russia so I don't think in the same way maybe but again it that's maybe where Formula One can kind of kind of hit back with is like well you know do you have the same level of outrage about every place you go to Mm. and it's difficult to do that but Saudi seems to be quite a special case.
0: Indeed. Well, moving things along now to get into our preview, because one place that a lot of people seem to be excited to go to is Portugal and not just for holidays, because that is naughty, naughty right now, given the pandemic. But of course, for Portimao, what we can expect again, it's been about, what is it, 24 years? I think I saw that stat since it's been since we've had F1 or racing at least in In Portugal and now it's at Portimao. um, Uncharted territories always expect to throw up certain surprises or maybe it'll be same old, same old, same old suspects. So guys, what can we expect from the unexpected?
1: Well, F1's never raced at Portimao, has raced in Portugal before, used to be in Estoril, but um, never been to Portimao for a race. They have tested there and actually the track was initially designed to try and bring a Formula One race to that part of the Algarve and it just never really came together. But in this weird season where we need European venues uh, where it's possible to travel and uh, need them to fill up the calendar, Portimao was an obvious uh, example. And I think everyone's pretty excited about it because even though it's a new track, so it's not like Mugello, old kind of, uh, or Nurburgring, you know, a relatively old circuit. This one is relatively new, but it's an undulating uh, area um, in some kind of uh, kind of semi-mountainous area uh, quite near the coast as well and um, I think just a lot of people are interested to see it because uh, there's a few corners there which are going to be high speed uh, like I said that undulation adds something to it and uh, we'll finally get an answer as to whether F1 racing at Portimao is any good um, so the, the time they tested there was 2009 and I think it was uh, only a number of teams that tested there it was ahead of um, the 2009 season when they had a big rule change coming in uh, but I, I think everyone's yeah everyone's looking forward to it. It's going to be a bit different, and uh, I think there's some hope among the organisers that if it goes well and uh, it proves to be a good circuit, and they can put a financial package together in the future, then maybe F1 can go back on a more regular basis.
0: Right. So without trying to get too many of your predictions going just yet, um, you know, I always like to ask for the what to watch for or who to watch for in this one. Nate, let's start off with you, because I feel like I'm looking at you to give me a case, another case for Danny Ricardo. I feel like there's so much more momentum and stuff going with Renault. I mean, this is probably excluding seven Ocon at the moment, but with the, the momentum of his podium last time out and the fact that, you know, Cyril came out and said that finally we're seeing, you know, some fruits of their labor paying off and and then coupled with Fernando Alonso saying that, you know, even though he's been out of the game for a bit, he was quite impressed with the car too. So could this be another pretty good weekend for Renault?
2: Yeah, I think so. And Renault right now seem to be in this sort of place, kind of uh, in terms of confidence and morale, as where McLaren was at the start of the season when Lando was taking those great results. You kind of get a feel from a team when they know they're on a, you know, on a good path. And Renault's been waiting so long for that, and clearly they are. You know, we've we've talked about it before. Ricardos podium was that it was like third time lucky, wasn't it? Because yeah. he had Spa, then Mugello, and then finally got it at the Nurburgring. So yeah, if 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 things happen out in front, and again, like. You know, Albon's not delivering with that Red Bull. So I feel like there's always a gap right below the top three for somebody like Racing Point, Renault or McLaren to kind of jump in there and, and you know, utilize that opportunity. And Ricardo, time and time again, is the guy to do that. So that's where I would be betting for like an outside podium again if we if we were to say, all right, there's going to be a different team on the podium to Red Bull and Mercedes. Um, just given how he's been driving, I'd put him there because he's been doing so well recently. Um, I would say at the moment, you know, he's been probably the most informed driver just because of what he's been doing uh, against his teammate, but also what he's been doing on the track. Maybe, well, I'm sure I'm sure Lawrence will start speaking and I'll think of somebody more informed than him. <laughs> but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll back it now. So if anyone's listening and they think of one better, I've probably thought of a better one by now as well. So, Lawrence, <laughs> so what about
0: you? Um, are you going to go on that, that Renault momentum train that we're all trying to get all aboard on? Or who would be your who or what to watch out for?
1: Well, initially when we saw Renault doing well, we thought, ah, oh, it's just a type of circuit that, they were racing at but I think the result in uh, the Nürburgring kind of you know gave them real confidence because it wasn't a traditional kind of you know aero efficiency um low downforce track that like Spa and Monza where they've been very quick you need, need a certain level of downforce on the car there and they seem to have it so that suggests they have made that little breakthrough and uh, the way is driving actually I, I do agree with Nate. I think he's one of the most informed drivers at the moment because uh, if you compare him to Ocon who I still classify as one of you know the better kind of younger drivers in Formula 1 I still think there's a lot there it hasn't been his season but he is a good driver and you look how well Ricardo is doing he's just making that case to say that he's up there with the likes of Lewis and Max but just not in the right machinery but that machinery is getting better and uh, yeah I think there's there's reason to be excited about it um, again because we don't We haven't raced uh, a Portimao before. We don't really know what a Formula 1 car looks like around there. It's quite hard to gather who's going to be quick there. But there are high-speed corners, that kind of stuff. So I don't imagine it will be a million miles away from the Nürburgring in terms of uh, the way the track's laid out, in terms of who's quick there. So uh, I think Renault have reason to be hopeful. But the opposition's strong. The racing points to a good car. McLaren gone a bit off the boil, but, you know, they're there or thereabouts. are So it's that same old case in, in the midfield that uh, anyone on their day nailing a setup, nailing the way the car's performing, um, can get themselves towards the front of that pack.
2: And on racing point as well, I was just looking back yeah. through the results. We obviously Stroll missed the last race. Hulkenberg came in, did a good job. But I think it's not unfair on Hulkenberg to say that Stroll might have done better just because he's been the guy in that car and Hulkenberg was dropped in the way he was. Stroll was punted out on the first lap in Sochi. He obviously crashed out in Mugello. So Racing Point really haven't been maximizing things there either. So I wonder if Racing Point can get a good clean weekend with at least one of their cars. But if both of them are up there, we've always talked about how, good, how much easier it is for strategy when you have both cars running close together. That will be really interesting because um, we haven't quite seen that from them recently. So there's a lot of reasons to expect that that midfield flight is going to be really, really, really tight. Like we've seen it has been pretty much all year. I mean, it's been a consistent like fact of this year is that Lewis has been winning and the midfield's been great so i think that'll continue in a,
1: a, a continue at Portimao That's true as well because Perez had it not been for that late safety car probably would have challenged Ricardo and would have seen a really good battle uh, between those two so hopefully that will just carry on into Portugal and we'll see the racing points and the Renaults going up against each other for whatever's left behind Mercedes and Red Bull
0: Well It's almost time to get into Pit Stop Predictions, but I do want to just bring up one small, tiny point um, just to get your thoughts on it. I'm probably going to become public enemy number one for bringing this up. But um, another thing that what to watch out for or expect this weekend, Lewis (laughs) Hamilton chasing 92 um race wins in that record and i know that of course everybody probably does expect him to do this with probably one eye closed and it doesn't make for the most exciting necessarily of headlines but it still is history and it's kind of like stepping into a new era isn't it guys
2: yeah it is it's it's crazy that we're talking about it and i'll be honest with you i thought the big i thought the big talking point the big kind of achievement would be 92 <coughs> but 91 you know there was such an outpouring of kind of you know admiration and adulation about that which i think again completely deserved not taking that away so i wonder how 92 will go because now we've kind of we've kind of got over the the you know the record's been matched yeah. and we know it's going to be beaten so i think it might it might be a bit more understated perhaps than 91 was because i feel like you know 91 you had Mick there there was that great moment where he presented him with one of michael's race helmets so that felt really special so i wonder if 92 not saying it isn't special but now every every race is going to be setting a new benchmark so you can't quite celebrate it in the same way Um, but it's an incredible achievement and one that definitely when Lewis retires and whatever he retires on people appreciate more same with Schumacher you know everyone now talks about how great Schumacher is but I tell you I remember growing up as a Schumacher fan the majority of people I mean maybe it was just in the UK but so many people kind of downplayed his achievements and how many races he'd won especially when he was in the first part of his career when he came back i think there was a bit more sympathy towards him and a bit more admiration for what he'd done um but yeah that respect kind of grows i think the further away from the sport you get so if people aren't appreciating it properly now i think give it 10 15 years and we'll really appreciate just the magnitude of that
1: yeah mercedes and hamilton are on pretty much a record a week at the moment because there's that 92 wins which is gonna probably fall at some point in one of the upcoming races uh, mercedes also have a chance to Win the Constructors title this weekend it, I think it's a pretty long shot I think they need to be 40 points to clear of Red Bull Which is unlikely if it happens on anything like It's normal form and there's no reliability Issues but that, that Championship win will probably fall in Imola and um, You know I think a lot of people focus on The Drivers Championship more than the Constructors And understandably so there's a personality Attached to it but that 7th World Championship for Mercedes Is massive because no other team has won seven consecutive Constructors' Championships. Uh, Ferrari and Mercedes currently are joint on the record of six. Um, so that will put Mercedes in another level again. Obviously, overall championships, Ferrari is still uh, quite a way ahead uh, in the history of the sport. But when you're looking at a team as a group of individuals within a certain time, rather than just a brand name that's attached to a change in evolving, uh, evolving team over time, then those seven championships back-to-back is pretty remarkable from Mercedes. Um, and then, after that, in Turkey, we'll probably see Lewis take his seventh world title to match Schumacher for championships as well as wins. So it's all going to kick off in the next few mm-hmm. weeks. You know? um, I mean, it, it's all stuff that we can predict, which is never the most exciting Uh, thing for a sport but it's stuff that i think as nate said we you know we should appreciate while it's there because these kind of things don't happen that often and uh i hope for the sake of the sport to some extent that after 2022 we don't see a period of domination like this but you have to kind of take your hat off and kind of appreciate it when it happens because it is it is pretty special
0: it is indeed and speaking of special that's exactly some of these predictions in our pit stop, which we're going to go straight into right now. This is where we take all of your predictions or questions on our social media. So across Facebook, Twitter, sometimes Instagram as well. Let's start off with ones that we got on Twitter. Hernan Zero says, massive car crash after a safety car restart. Long high-speed corner before the main straight. Delenda says, Kimi put someone... Kimmy punts someone out of the race again <laughs> and is incredulous on radio when handed a penalty. I absolutely have been loving the Kimmy memes that have been coming out. <laughs> they give me such life. Eagle Mustache says, Danny Ricardo on the podium again, but this time he remembers to do a shoey." I definitely don't think he'll be forgetting anytime soon. SK says, how, or asks rather, how will the teams tackle this new circuit as the track may not be available on simulators.
1: So I I imagine they would have simulated the track to some extent. Um, This kind of information is available. Enough simulations go on outside of Formula One as well that, you know, you can get get a feel for it and uh, they can plug something into their simulator. But some of the smaller details like track surface, things like that, they won't have their head around. And those are so important when it comes to understanding how the tyres work and getting the best out of it. And of course, as we know in Formula One, that's the key to performance. So there's definitely gonna be some unknowns. And that's the great thing about going to these circuits. Uh, it was similar with the Nürburgring. Okay, they had old data on the Nürburgring. They've got very old data on Imra. I don't think that data's gonna be relevant anymore. Uh, the track's changed as well. So these races coming up are exciting in, in, in that regard because you strip away some of the team's understanding. And as you do that, then you start to see more mistakes, more unpredictability. The only downside to all that is that the teams with the best simulators and the teams that are best equipped to deal with those challenges tend to be the teams at the front. So sometimes it just increases the gap between the very front runners and the rest. But there's certainly an element of unpredictability as a result. And yeah, the question is right. You know, they don't have some of the information about it.
0: We do love some unpredictability. F1 High Speed predicts this podium. Bottas, Lando and Sebastian Vettel. Wow, that is definitely out there and first points for George Russell now you see that's I've got my Lando Norris podium I've finally gotten my Danny Ricciardo podium I am just holding out for George Russell to get even a sniff well he got a sniff of points so now I want him to actually get the points guys so any hope for this
2: I think this is the like the most unfair um like run without a point ever yeah like he spent like Kubica got one last year you know, like, he's so close to getting it. And, you know, Magello, as Vettel said then, you know, he should have had it. So, um, yeah, the longer it goes on, the more kind of... It, it almost becomes like a, a thing every week. Like, almost a bit like the Hulkenberg... I know it's not as dramatic, but, the you know, the Holkenberg podium becomes something you always talk about. And everyone keeps mentioning, like, oh, Russell's not got his point yet. So I think once he gets it, you know, it's kind of... He, he can move on from, from not having one. But, uh, yeah, he definitely deserves to get that at some point.
0: He definitely, absolutely deserves that. May says... Oh, gosh. Trying to break my heart here. May says Latifi will get points ahead of George Russell. Ouch. Pedro Aguirre says Checo finally gets a podium this year, and Lewis Hamilton gets that record 90-second victory. Um, those are two actually pretty. Well, one's a very, very safe prediction, and the other one is true. Checo Perez definitely, I would say, deserves a podium there for sure. And I mean, we'll, we'll get to your ball predictions because I'll see if you chuck him in there. Because I feel like you guys are flirting with it, so I'll see which one of you actually bites the bullet and goes for it. Facebook will rattle off some of these quickly. Brad Boyer says, I predict that the DRS zone will be out of reach for second place by the time it is turned on. Adam Thornton says, Valtteri Bottas on pole. Hamilton will win, though. A surprise P2 and P3 with Max struggling and Albon finishing ahead of him in fourth or fifth. My, my, my. Yeah,
2: that is pretty brave, saying Albon ahead of <laughs>
0: oh, one hundred percent. Samrat Dash says after looking at the telemetry of all the races since twenty fourteen, trusting my gut instinct and discussing with X F one driver Alan Prost, here's my prediction. Mercedes, <laughs> the car, will win.
2: <laughs> Who whose Twitter is that?
0: Samrat Dash.
2: Oh, okay. Interesting.
0: Well there we go. I like
2: that friend of friend of Prost, apparently
0: there we go and, <laughs> here's his bold prediction mercedes the car will win cole plaskett says george russell in the points fingers toes at everything cross and finally kim phillips says i predict that dogs and cats will unite in resistance against mankind cool cool i like that one it's BK. about time to be honest it's about time you know me we've I'm been
2: about... ruling for too long to I'm, be fair, I'd join the cats and dog side, I'd, I'd completely betray the human race, I'd join that. I'm
0: always on the cats and dogs side, I still try to betray the human race, actively, right now, but we move on. <laughs> 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 Two humans that I will never betray though, are you guys, yeah. and now it's time for Nate's bald, bald, bald predictions.
2: <laughs> i yeah, so mix you- it up
0: a bit, so hit me so with it, Nate.
2: You're for right, mankind. Says... <laughs> well, for cats for cats and dogs, for not for cats mankind. Cats and
0: dogs kind. For animals uh, everywhere. Animal
2: kind. Um so yeah, mine was gonna thing is, it does feel like a bold prediction because Perez hasn't been on the podium yet this year, but his form is actually really good. So I was gonna say Perez on the podium. If you look at his recent run of races, he's kind of since since the vettel news, he's kind of been driving with this kind of you can tell he's got a point to prove he's obviously got a seat to yep. win for next year so i think mine i'm going to keep it fairly simple i'm going to say perez on the podium um and ahead of ahead of stroll ahead of ricardo etc um maybe and, it's because i want to see him on the podium um but uh, but yeah I, I i can see that happening
0: and who would you want and to be
2: well if i'm being bold uh number one let's say danny rick and two we could say lando or we could say the clerk we could see Charles back up there I think he oh, deserves to, he's another he's another guy that deserves to be you know quietly 100%. his form has been fantastic as well um, and and especially when you compare him to Vettel so fun fact for you since Hulkenberg was drafted in for the first Silverstone race he scored more points in Formula 1 than Sebastian Vettel has which is pretty <laughs> insane when you think about it because uh, Hulkenberg obviously didn't start the first Silverstone race he's on two races and he's outscored Vettel in those two races compared to I think it's seven or eight for Vettel so um yeah, sorry, quick aside there. But um yeah, the, the prediction itself is Perez, but if we're going completely out there, I'd say Ricardo who else did they say? Ricardo, Leclerc, Perez. Oh no, 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 let's go Perez, Leclerc, Ricardo. Ricardo's had a win before, so we'll give one to Perez in this wildly out there prediction.
0: That is a very wild prediction indeed, but I would love to see some Checo Perez on that on that podium for true. Lawrence, now it's all to you and your strong credibility. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how to follow that up. I feel like Nate's gone Nate, Nate's
2: pretty bold. So, yeah, Nate works. Uh, I, I mean, that. Just, to, just to clarify to anyone listening, my bold prediction is Perez on the podium. The rest was just kind of, just kind of spitballing you know, some, some really wild scenarios because obviously I want to keep some of my credibility intact for anyone listening.
0: Oh, brilliant.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm going to look at the other end of the grid. Uh, Nate's got the podium sorted. So I'm going to go down the other end and say both Williams drivers score points. I'm not quite sure how it's going to happen. I think we're going to need some retirements elsewhere, maybe a big uh, Mugello-style accident pile-up in which a number of cars get taken out. But yeah, both both Williams in the points, um, which should be good to see.
0: Wow, those are very yeah? bold predictions indeed. I'm proud of you guys. Proud of you guys, but I'm especially a fan of, um, of getting... Well, the Williams, they definitely need points, but George Russell definitely deserves more than a point right now that's for sure so hopefully he does at least get some well, anyways that brings us to the end of this podcast make sure to join us on sunday where we will be looking back at all of the action and all of the predictable or unpredictable that happens in portimao if you are in the usa make sure you can catch the portuguese grand prix it starts at 8 10 a.m eastern time so that's in the u.s and thank you guys for listening we'll see you sunday